What's up, everybody? Okay. Hope you all are having a good Saturday night. You know, still trying to enjoy that uh, this weekend, even though it's coming to a close soon. So, I'm going to see what I could do with this stream. Maybe I can make this a three-hour stream. But let's get into it. Okay? Let's get into this and uh, it comes with you know unfortunate news what happened to Stevie Bates police looked for answers and disappearance of Occupy Wall Street protester found dead in Queens the latest eyes uh, to see Stevie Bates 20 alive were those of security cameras at the Port Authority bus terminal in April of 2012. More than a decade later, the former Occupy Wall Street protesters was officially declared dead after being positively ID'd through examination of skeletal remains recovered from the construction site in Queens in September 2020. Now police need anyone with information about Bates' disappearance to come forward and help solve the mystery surrounding how she died and why. The medical examiner's offices, though they were able to identify Bates' remains, were not able to as yet as turned the cause of death. Police sources believe she may have suffered from a front a fatal overdose. Foul play has not yet been ruled out. According to the missing person's reports on Bates, she had participated in the Occupy Wall Street protests during 2011 and 2012. She was undomiciled and last seen alive in person at 8 a.m on April 12, 2012, leaving her sister's home on Sterling Place in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. The following month, Vivian Jones, Stevie Bates' brother, I'm sorry, Stevie Bates' mother, reported her daughter's disappearance to police. Jones told police that Bates told her on April 26, 2012, that she was en route back to New York on a bus trip from Arkansas. On a website set up by Bates' family documenting the case, Jones wrote in 2013 that she Last spoke with Bates on the phone April 27th, and Bates had told her she was going to see her ex-boyfriend in Brooklyn. Bates' boyfriend, whose name is listed on the Bates website, but withheld hair due to ongoing investigation, has not been officially identified as a suspect and currently lives out of state, police sources said Saturday. Then on April 28th, 2012, security cameras at the Port Authority bus captured the last images of Bates alive. Jones would report Bates' disappearance to police in May 2012, and the search went on for eight years without any breaks. Finally, on September 18, 2020, construction workers excavated a building site at 80-97 Cypress Avenue in Glendale, located human remains wrapped in a blanket. Police picked up the remains and transferred them to the medical examiner's office for further investigation. It took two years for the medical examiner's office to confero with police investigators to identify, to finally identify the remains of those of Bates. The investigation into her death remains ongoing, police sources said. This is sad, man. This is absolutely um, terrible. I don't know what to say, man. I don't. I hope there's uh, more information comes out 
for a while, since 2012. A lot has happened since then. I don't know what to say, man. I really don't. Okay. On to this next uh, information right here. Um, all I can say is the simple fact that I don't know what. Let's just see. Let's just see it together. Okay, let's just see it together. Bar Talk Radio live in 4K. punches and no one's calling the cops everyone record call the cops call the cops somebody call the cops Thank you. 
it just but now set on the road to 2024. People have to understand when someone pulls on an axe like that, run. Okay? This is not a game. Alright? And, um, it's not a joke, but they don't understand it. A lot of people want to be famous instead of trying to be safe. Alright? Anyway. Let's go on to the next story. We're going to be talking about Zelensky right now. Mr. Zelensky. Captain Nazi. Okay. Zelensky quietly deletes photo of his bodyguard's pro-Hitler patch. Ukrainian president published a photo on his social media channel showing one of his security escorts bearing a patch referencing the personal body unit bodyguard unit of Adolf Hitler. September 13th, Ukrainian President Zelensky made a surprise trip to the city of Izium in the Karnov region for a photo op following his military's recapture of the town from Russian forces. During the visit, a soldier who appeared to be guarding Zelensky was photographed wearing a Nazi-inspired patch on his uniform. Nothing, uh, Nothing to be surprised about since he has admitted that, you know, Azov Battalion are pro, pro-Nazi. And the fact that, <clears throat> you know, the country is for white supremacy. When the image drew criticism on social media, the Ukrainian president's official Telegram and Facebook accounts quietly deleted it. In Islam on September 14th, Zelensky participated in a flag rising ceremony to the tune of the Ukrainian national anthem and took selfies with the local civilians and soldiers. While most of the men on the scene were officially military fatigues, it was not difficult to see which ones were, for lack of a better term, working and which ones were simply present to participate in the event. One photograph posted on Zelensky's Telegram and Facebook accounts activated here and here. I captured the president as he posed selfies with Ukrainian troops. As Zelensky flashed a smile for the camera of a cheerful service member, he was flanked by a heavily equipped soldier standing guard and facing the opposite direction. Just over Zelensky's right shoulder, a small but significant patch could be seen on the back of the soldier's flank vest. Social media users quickly identified the symbol. The symbol, it was derived from the Tokenkopf, Germans for death's head. An insignia widely used in Nazi Germany. Badges incorporating the skull and bones mounted were popularized by Germany's death head units, whose original task was to serve as guards at the concentration camps. In October 1939, some 6,500 members were deployed as frontline fighters, as frontline fighters in the attempt to the conquest of Europe and the Soviet Union, carrying out war crimes and ethnic cleansing on their way. That's the uh, SS. Tonko symbol right here. Alright. Alright, there you go. See it right there. 
I love when people try to say that, you know, oh, they're not Nazis. Yeah, they are. Zelensky's bodyguard appeared to support a slightly altered version of the SS token pulse patch. It was missing the crossbones and the skull was wearing a helmet. <clears throat> However, this reporter was able to find three online vendors based in Ukraine that sell the patch, which is branded the operator skull and manufactured by a company called Reich, an explicit reference to Nazi Germany. Side, a side-by-side -side comparison of the Reich patch and enhanced version of the patch worn by Zelensky's bodyguard. While a clear and sizable shot of the insignia decorating Zelensky's apparent bodyguard has yet to emerge, enhanced rendering of the image demonstrate he was clearly sporting the same design manufactured by Reich. Both badges feature a skull wearing a helmet. The headgear is virtually identical. The nose and eye holes share the same amount of space between them. The silhouettes and indistinguishable and the tally marks drawn on the helmet appear in the same location. A closer look at the Reich's operating skull patch reveals even more disturbing detail. A skeleton key displayed on the top right of the helmet is a reference to the SS Division Lebestandre or Lebestandre SS Adolf Hitler's personal bodyguard unit. The unit later evolved into the Panzer or Armored Tank Division and like the Tonkenfalf participated in several invasions throughout Europe and the Soviet Union. The skeleton key emblem of the SS Division Les Liebstandre. While the SS Division Liebstandre made its way through Kokopov, where this week Zelensky's bodyguard was photographed with the operator skull patch during the Second World War, on its one of its units earned the nickname Blowtorch Battalion for its habit of burning down Russian-speaking villages. Soldier of Lebensar's SS Adolf Hitler's lights his cigarette on the burning thatch roof of a building in Kharkov. Photo via German Federal Archives. After this report took a social media took to social media to report that Zelensky's bodyguard appeared to be wearing an operative skull patch, no less than eight Twitter users asserted the image was photoshopped. Shockingly, Twitter even deemed Mint Press News tweet about the photograph to be sensitive content. An apparent attempt to, de to damage control on Zelensky's behalf that reduced the image visibility on the platform. Uh, Twitter is known for a lot of things, man. Twitter is known for, uh, you know, you have uh, pedos on it sometimes <clears throat> and uh, supporting white supremacy, supporting Nazis. The sighting of the Nazi past recalled a 2018 incident in Ukraine then. Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko posed with soldiers bearing the placard featuring the Nazi Tolkienfall symbol. See what I'm saying? Newsweek spurly claimed the image included a skull and bones that appeared to have been photoshopped <clears throat> excuse me, on the photograph of Ukrainian troops. However, the Grey Zone reported the soldier standing directly beside Poroshenko was wearing the Nazi-inspired patch on his chest. The paratroopers later apologized for displaying the Nazi symbol, further discrediting Newsweek's spin. Yeah, right. Okay. But uh let's watch let's let's watch this right now.
truth is on our side though so it means that we will come there we go there's the Nazi symbol right there the operator skull I don't know when and nobody knows when they did it truth is on our side though so it means that we will come I don't know when and nobody knows Okay. If, as before, the image of the Nazi patch was real. What's more, the Reich company's operator skull patch seems quite popular in Ukraine. One of the three Ukraine-based online shops that this reporter discovered were selling the Nazi emblem. None had any left in stock. Okay. That is, that is Zelensky. Alright. So, um, hold on one minute. One second. Okay, hold on one minute. So now, we have uh, here a woman that, um, a lot of women don't understand this, right? <clears throat> they have a habit of I'm not going to say all women, but I'd say it's just the ones that want a fast buck. I know you, you got a job, and times are hard. Yeah, I understand that. Times are hard. But uh, there are certain things that you have to really put into perspective. And one of those things, you know, one of those things is, you know, your safety. That's what you have to understand. Your safety is paramount at this time. And that's what a lot of people don't understand when it comes to you taking certain jobs that can really um, impact you for the worst. Okay? It really can. But um, let's uh, let's get into it right now. You'll see what I'm saying. All Talk Radio live in 4K. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. Okay, hold on. She works four different nursing homes in the tri-state area. This is what I'm talking about, man. You work in a nursing home and you want to do this. And then you get surprised when you get called out. Okay, when you get put on Front Street. Okay. 
you can't do these type of jobs and get crying when you get fired like why did i get fired i mean i'm a school teacher but i work at a strip club no 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 it's like people expect they want to work these type of jobs and you expect not to get canned for it let's keep going understand something um you put yourself out there all right and you put yourself out there for your enemies to try to get you canceled try to get you fired and you can't get mad at that because you gave them the ammunition a lot of these women think only fans is the way to go and it, i don't know what it is but it seems i can't really say it's women with nose rings and tattoos because i just did a story about a woman who's uh was a uh special ed teacher who was married, you know, made a million dollars within three years. Her her husband was okay with it and then tries to tell the kids that we should be supportive. <laughs> Tells his kids they should be supportive. Oh, man. I wonder what's going to happen when she wants to bring it to the next level and wants to bring other guys into the bedroom or, bring, or share herself with other guys. Now what are you going to do? Okay, but that's another story for another day. But what I'm trying to say is the fact is a lot of women are going to be doing this, but they're not going to just they're not going to look at the cost. They're not going to look at the cost of what it means to do this type of work and the price that they are paying. Okay. To do this. All right. They're not looking at it that way. That's what they're not looking at. 
and they're gonna more end up being stalked, end up being uh, put in very dangerous positions. Some will turn up missing. They're not getting it though. Like they paid for my site so they all could see and look at the nurse's station while they're on the clock, okay? She said that she can't have that happening every time that I work, so she has to let me go. Like, girl, did you just hear yourself? These women are literally taking your time that you paid them for, sitting at the nurse station, buying my stuff, looking at my socials while I'm in a room doing care? I could understand the fact, because personally, if it was me, I would fire all of them that were looking on social media on the company time. I'm like, what are you doing looking on social media on the company time? Congratulations, you are all fired. I would do that, to be fair. But she eventually, her, this one, would definitely, there's no point of return. You're definitely getting canned. But I'm the problem and I get let go? And that's it. You know, that, that is how she sees things. All right. She's not seeing the fact that you do this type of life, there are consequences. And you don't get to choose the, con you don't get to choose the result of doing those type of, uh, that type of, that type of, it's not even work. I'm not even, I refuse to call that work. It is not work. Okay? It's not. It is not work. Alright? That that it's not. It's your your it's basically on the same grounds of prostitution. But uh let's go back into uh talking about Ukraine and Russia. How this could play out. Okay? Let's get to it. offensive in the Kharkiv region, east of Ukraine. The Russians were going to have to dig in somewhere. And now we can begin to see where. They're certainly making a stand at Svetove, east of the Oskar River. Now this is really important to them because Svetove controls the last good supply route from Belgorod in Russia to their forces further south. But the Ukrainians are now in a position to attack the P-66 highway that runs south from Svetove towards Kremena on the northern doorstep of the Donbass. So the Russians are also trying hard to regain their positions at Kremena, because if they can't, then Lysyshansk and Sverdonetsk, remember them, could be surrounded from the north. So the next phase of this battle in the northeast is now beginning to take shape. In the southwest, the battle for Kherson continues. Now, Kherson is the more important strategic objective, and Russian troops are fighting hard to retain it. It appears that the Ukrainians are working to squeeze Russian forces elsewhere in the region back into the city itself, and then they'll probably be trying to wear them down. Now, Russia's response to these setbacks has been to launch more rocket attacks against civilian targets and infrastructure. The dam and the hydroelectric plants at Kiviri, they were attacked repeatedly. Now, there is military logic in this for Russia. Breaking the dam floods the Indrilich River, and that destroys some of the pontoon bridges the Ukrainians depend on now that they've crossed the Indrilich. The dam is rapidly repaired, the pontoons are replaced, and Russian attacks on the dam will probably continue. It's all part of the battle of logistics, without which frontline battles will always fail. And when it comes to logistics and support, 
Some of the headline figures are pretty dramatic. The Russians have lost over 6,000 pieces of significant military equipment. The Ukrainians only about a, a quarter of that figure. But those big Russian losses are still generally small in terms of the amount of equipment they have available. Whereas Ukrainian losses are a bigger proportion of what they can ultimately throw into the battle. Which emphasizes two fundamental issues. One is that Ukraine will need Western military equipment for as long as it fights this war. And two, that means we're witnessing the... Re that means Ukraine will constantly be a parasite to the American government. <clears throat> Sucking away all the money that could be used to feed the homeless and the starving in our country and to deal with the unemployment rate in our country. Turn of industrial scale warfare to Europe for the first time in a couple of generations. <sighs> That's right, people. Ukraine is just going to be sucking up money from you, us taxpayers. And we have nothing, there's nothing we can do about it. Nothing that we can do about it. Okay? Now, let's, uh, let's look at this one right here. Um, World Economic Forum Global Elite will escape mass execution event courtesy of the technological Noah's Ark. Wow. Interesting. Alright. The global elite will escape the upcoming global mass execution event courtesy of a technological Noah's Ark according to Yuval Noah Hari, lead advisor to Klaus Schwab and World Economic Forum. Harry, whose middle name happens to be Noah, made prediction about the technological Noah's Ark while taking part in the discussion at the Warwick Economic Summit on Friday. According to Harry, the vast majority of the world will perish while the world's elites are set to escape the global mass extinction event. CNN's Bill Ware, has, who hosted the discussion, followed by suggested co suggested the um, what happened two years ago was a dress rehearsal. According to Harry, so-called elites will shield themselves from planetary catastrophes while the rest of humanity perishes. Harry made remarks while discussing climate change, which he framed as the most pressing threat facing humanity. Interesting. Alright. During the panel discussion, Harry described climate change as a function of man-made global warming, he stated. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, let me see if we can watch this. Yeah, we can. Hold on a minute. One second. Okay, there we go. Yep, here we go. Now that technology, uh, and it, 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 technology is obviously the key. It created the problem in the first place. It's also a key to the solution. But by itself, technology is never a solution. Fair use, because by the way. every technology can be used for, for good or for ill. Uh, it depends on, on how you do it, on uh, which interests you take into account. So yes, we need people to work on, on, on the technological aspects, but we need the politicians to direct it. 
in the right way for the benefit of the greatest number of, of people and of the entire ecosystem. And, um, you know, one of the biggest dangers in the technological utopianism that, oh, the technology will solve it, is the kind of uh, Noah Ark syndrome. Like in the Bible with the flood, that yes, eventually they built an ark, but just for five people or something like that. Almost everybody drowned. And there is a very big danger that with climate change, when people talk about what's our future going to be like, there is no us, there is no our future. Humanity might divide into a majority maybe of people who would suffer tremendously and a minority that will have the resources, the wealth, the technology to protect themselves and even flourish in some kind of technological Noah's Ark. And this is extremely dangerous. Again, I think one of the reasons that we don't see enough urgency from leaders, from business elites and so forth, is that in the back of their mind, they are counting on a technological Noah's Ark. And that's very, very dangerous. Vanessa, I know that you uh, focused a lot on loss and damage, trying to get countries that have contributed very little uh, to the problem, some support from the richer countries that have sort of created the mess. Uh, what has that been like? What have been your successes and, and, and roadblocks to getting people to do the right thing uh, on a global scale? Well, yeah, we, we all understand that loss and damage is something that is already happening right now in so many vulnerable countries and there was so much conversation and work being done to ensure that loss and damage is put on the agenda especially at the COP26 but then we saw that you know there's no separate fund that was put in place specifically for loss and damage and yet so many um, communities are already suffering loss and damage and this is something that I have said you know multiple times that we you know loss and damage as it affects so many communities you know people end up losing things that they cannot adapt to you know people cannot adapt to starvation you saw the Eastern Africa drought that left over 26 million people with no access to food with no access to water. So how can people adapt to starvation? How can people adapt to loss of lives because of some of you know, because of some of these disasters? As loss and damage continues to happen, people's cultures are being lost, people's histories are being lost. So and these again are things that people cannot adapt to. So it's really important that loss and damage is not only put on the agenda but also a separate fund, you know, to be put in place specifically for loss and damage. Because in the end, without, you know, this fund for loss and damage, then there is no lifeline for so many people who are already losing things that they cannot adapt to. We know that adaptation and mitigation is important, you know, but even the climate finance of $100 billion that was promised it is yet to be delivered. It hasn't been delivered, and the countries on the front lines of the climate crisis are still waiting 
you know, for the, for this climate finance to be the leaders. So, to me, you know, in this this year, as COP twenty seven is going to be in Egypt, it's really important that you know many people rise up together, and especially uh, the governments in Africa, African leaders, you know, to unite together to put a demand, you know, as we as we go to COP27 to put a serious demand on climate finance for adaptation, mitigation and loss and damage, a separate fund for loss and damage because we can't do it by ourselves. Many times as activists, we are asked for, you know, solutions. What can we do to make sure that, you know, the funding is good for loss and damage? But we can't do this alone. We need the support of you know leaders to come together to unite together and really place these demands as vulnerable you know the people on the front lines to put those demands on the global north because we know who caused the climate crisis and we know who needs to pay so it's important that the people who are responsible for climate change show us the money for adaptation for mitigation but also for loss and damage. Professor, it's going to be the common process. It took 26 of these conference of parties for them to even utter the word coal as a driving force of, of a dirty energy. Um, you know, given the, all the various special interests coming at this problem from all different corners of the world, what do you? How would you characterize the effectiveness of these of these global conversations as to getting us to the, to the ultimate end. Hmm. Uh, things are moving in the right direction, but far too slowly. Uh, as things look right now, the, the, uh, uh, looking to the future, it, it looks grim. That we are not doing enough. We are not, it do doesn't seem that we will be doing enough on, on time. Again, the, 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 I, I can't predict the future. What I can say when looking at the present is that we have the resources to solve it, but we are not doing the right things. And uh, I hope, you know, and the, the most tragic things in history are not the unavoidable disasters. The, mo the biggest tragedies are the disasters that could have been prevented. So we are living right now in the midst of one, the COVID crisis around the world, which, you know, compared to previous pandemics in history, the Black Death was an unavoidable disaster. Humanity did not have the scientific knowledge and the technological power to understand and prevent or stop the Black Death. COVID-19, in contrast, we did have, we still have the scientific knowledge and the power to stop it, and we are not doing it. But it's a much bigger tragedy in this sense. And it's the same with climate change, that we can prevent it, but we are not doing it. And this is extremely unfortunate. Yeah, I have a question here from one of uh, the audience. Rudoshi, following up on, on the COP 26-27 idea for Vanessa, um, do you think keeping 1.5 alive is achievable given what's the progress that's happened at, at these latest COPs? Well, um, I'll first say that we've had 26 COPs and even 26 COPs, the climate crisis has continued to escalate and people
people continue to be impacted by this crisis, but also following on what Professor Harari has said, we have the resources to actually stop the climate crisis. To me, 1.5 is actually achievable if there is the will of governments, you know, to make this happen, and not just, you know, to. All right, you could possibly look this guy up. You know, his name is Yuval Noah Harari. You could look him up and find out, you know, and Klaus Schwab, I got to keep it moving. Um, but the governments are not going to uh, help. They want this new world order, and they are going to do everything they can to make sure that we will be their slaves. Okay? They're not going to come out right and try to control you, but they're going to do subtle things in ways that everything comes through them. And they will use the media to brainwash you to say, if you don't agree with them, if you refuse to sign up to whatever they have for you, you'll be looked upon as a bigot and selfish. That's how it's going to come across. Just how you're looked upon as a bigot for not being down with the alphabet agenda. Okay? That's just how it is. Okay? And a lot of people are going to fall for it. That's just... Hey, people got to stock up. You know, stock up on food. And, um... It's going gonna, it's gonna to be one hell of a ride. That's all I can tell you. One hell of a ride. But let's see what Mr. Biden is doing right now. What is Mr. Biden doing? Okay. Let's, let's get into that. Uh, here we are, here we are, here we are, here we are. Alright. Okay. So, Biden signs a new order to develop genetic engineering technologies to write circuitry for cells and predictable program biology. Let's get into that. Alright. Crazy man. It looks like some Resident Evil type of stuff. Alright. September 12th, the Biden White House signed off on a new executive order calling advanced biotechnology and biomanufacturing innovation for a substantial, safe, and secure American bioeconomy. The order calls for rapid development of bioeconomy to address societal goals like programming human biology. The order refers to a bioeconomy as the economic activity derived from the life sciences particularly in the areas of biotechnology and biomanufacturing, including industries, products, services, and workforce. Most shocking, the order directs multiple federal agencies to work with the private sector to develop genetic engineering technologies to write circuitry for cells and to predictably program biology. Taken directly from an executive order for biotechnology and biomanufacturing to help us achieve our societal goals, the United States needs to invest in infrastructure in foundational scientific capabilities, we need to develop genetic engineering technologies and techniques to be able to write circuitry for cells and predictably program biology in the same way in which we write software and program computers. All the conspiracy theories that about hacking human cells and human DNA are coming to light as the federal government pushes sadistic transhumanistic agenda on the American population and the rest of the world. Programming human cells is something that, uh, when they were unleashed by the, yeah, 
and stated that the platforms are operating design to program human beings and to turn their cells into efficient, into efficient drug delivery systems. The Biden executive order was even praised and diagnosis to play a vital role in advancing the biotechnology and bioeconomy. Okay. Hmm. So that seems like there's a lot there. Okay. A lot that, uh, seems to be on the Resident Evil uh, type of uh, issue of controlling people in the worst way possible. Alright. That's how it seems like. Pretty insane. And uh, like I said, I, I just wouldn't put it past of that being a reality wouldn't pass any um the white house you know the democratic party bringing that to light okay but here's something else <clears throat> Biden administration is placing vending machines filled with drug supplies in rural kentucky 3.6 million project will distribute syringes to the country's overdose epic center hmm. why not take that money right and use that money to help with drug programs, counseling, rehabilitation, okay, instead of giving them supplies to take their drugs. It makes no sense. Just doesn't. Biden administration is to spend $3.6 million to deploy vending machines filled with drug supplies in rural Kentucky, an effort that the Biden administration claims will reduce stigma for drug users. The stigma is being a drug user. You help them from you help them escape that stigma by helping them get help, pushing them to go cold turkey, and to be a productive citizen of society. The project from the National Institute of Health was launched in August and will study the effectiveness of harm reduction kiosks in rural Appalachia that contain injection equipment, noxalone, fentanyl test strips, hygiene kits, condoms, and other supplies. The vending machines allow drug users to obtain items such as syringes without interacting with a health professional in hopes of eliminating the stigma that comes with visiting an in-person harm reduction facility, according to the health agency. The White House referenced the project in an August 31 press release on its actions taken to address the addiction that the overdose epidemic the administration has adopted a wide range of harm reduction policies which aim to make illicit drug use safer than eliminated. It makes no sense. Why are you trying to help them be drug dealers? I'm, I'm sorry, not drug dealers, drug abusers. Why are you helping them to do that? Why not help them to get off the drugs? It's like he's helping people destroy themselves. Just like instead of giving reparations, you decide to put give you know, drug addicts crack pipes in minority communities where they have schools it doesn't make any sense okay he's destroying the country he's not helping he's destroying the Washington Free Beacon in February reported that the Department of Health and Human Services was set to fund the distribution of crack pipes through a 30 million dollar harm reduction grant program $30 million wasted. The administration backed off the funding plans in the, amid public backlash, and the New York Times reported 
the uproar over plans to fund crack pipes, derail Biden's drug policy agenda. The White House, however, still appears willing to adopt controversial harm reduction policies. The New York Times reportedly in July that Biden's drug czar, Dr. Raul Gupta, was supportive of the legalization of injection sites, which allowed users to take drugs with supervision from health professionals. Health professionals, the new study, which is conducted by the University of Kentucky, appears to be the first effort from the federal government to deploy harm reduction vending machines. Harm reduction vending machines have been popularized in Canada, Australia, and other countries. A few U.S. states, including New York, Rhode Island, Ohio, and Nevada, have deployed the machines in recent years. The machines sometimes include smoking kits, which in many cases include crack pipes. Oh! <laughs> Gosh, there's a clown. <laughs> oh, man. Ooh, I need a good laugh. Ooh. The University of Kentucky declined to comment directing the Free Bacon's inquiry um, to the National Institute of Health. Uh, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, which heads the project at the National Institute of Health, told the Free, Be told the Free Beacon that... Along with drug paraphernalia, the vending machines will include food kits, water, socks, and gloves, feminine hygiene products, wound care, and resource guides. The agency did not respond to questions regarding the status of the kiosk program. Oh, man. This is just clown behavior, man. Clown behavior. This, this is just a joke. This is a joke. You're not helping people. You're supervising their self-destruction. And they're not even going to use the condoms. Okay? Giving them condoms is not going to help them have, not have kids out of wedlock. They're probably still going to do it. It's not going to help. You need to give tough love to these drug addicts. You need to tell them you need to get help. This is not working for you. This is harming you. You're destroying yourself. Okay? It's not worth it. Oh, man. I just... Clown stuff, man. Just... Utter clown stuff. That's all I can say. The clown show never stops. I'll tell you one thing, though. Texas ain't playing. Texas is not playing. See what I mean? Migrants arriving in Chicago on a bus from Texas tonight. They've been welcomed by city officials who are trying to determine what is next for them. WGN's Andrea Medina is live in Union Station with that story. Andrea. Hi, Mike and Ray. About an hour and a half ago, another group of migrants made their way here from the Texas-Mexico border. We don't know how many arrived or where they're traveling from, but city officials who greeted them say they'll release those details tomorrow. But as of August 31st, the city of Chicago has received more than 500 migrants, many from Central and South America. Another busload of migrants from Texas arrived in Chicago Thursday evening. We blurred their faces to protect their identities, but they were dropped off at Union Station where dozens of families were welcomed by city officials. This is the latest group bus to the Windy City as part of Texas Governor Greg Abbott's plan. He's sending migrants to sanctuary cities like Chicago in protest of the U.S. border policies. What we're reacting to is hours notice for when we need to stand up. Dozens and dozens of hotel rooms. 
Grace Ho, secretary for the Illinois Department of Human Services, describes finding them shelter as a scramble, but have been able to rise up to the challenge. 12 buses over the past two weeks with no communication. On Wednesday, Governor J.B. Pritzker signed a disaster declaration and mobilized 75 members of the Illinois National Guard to care for the more than 500 migrants who have been bused to Chicago by the Texas governor. The Burridge mayor has criticized Pritzker for the vague details about the migrants coming to his village last week, stating the lack of communication hurt the village's ability to prepare for their arrival. He says in part, when I, as mayor of my community, asked for notice and information from you, your office called my community xenophobic, all because we sought the same basic information as your staff has sought from Governor Abbott. Man, they just didn't want those people to come there. <laughs> Abbott, Abbott ain't playing, man, because, yo, he, he's trying to protect the city, the, the, um, the Texans, his citizens, so... Biden wants to play around, let them have him in his backyard, okay? But keep sending them anywhere else but Texas. Unfortunately, this is where crime will go up. Governor Pritzker responding back that the Burridge mayor has created an unwelcoming environment for the asylum seekers with his public comments. He says in part, you said that no additional asylum seekers would be welcome without village consent and planning, if at all. The state has a contract with the hotel to provide emergency rooms. We use this contract for Afghan refugees in February and March of 2022. Moving forward, both Governor Pritzker and the Burridge mayor have agreed they have the responsibility to welcome these migrants. Afghanist immigrants. Oh, yeah, I remember that story. They were on a military base. One of them attacked a woman. I think another one attacked a minor. And um, the thing is, in Afghanistan, it's in their culture, you know, uh, harming women and children's in their culture being very light with the words that really i could say but that's their culture and you're bringing them over here yeah okay all right let's keep going city officials are expecting a second bus from texas to arrive very soon but the migrants who arrived earlier were taken to a center on the north side where they will receive shelter and care they ain't gonna stop they're gonna fill this place with illegal immigrants Biden's really really trying to get reelected that's what he's trying to do will it work we don't know man we do not know These are just going to go from bad to worse. That's what I see. Now we have a situation here of a woman who uh, couldn't handle the fact that She couldn't handle the fact of uh, being told no. All right. She couldn't handle that. And uh, she did the unthinkable. And that's what happened. 
One second. One second. family of a professional bull rider from Fort Bend County now mourning his tragic death in Salt Lake City. Now police there are saying that a female acquaintance killed Allison Mitchell while he was in town for the Utah State Fair. Jason Miles is live from Fresno with more from his grieving family. Jason. Hey there guys. Yeah, this is a small rodeo venue here in the Fresno area of Fort Bend County where I'm told Demetrius Allen learned to ride bulls. He was known as Outsy Mitchell on the professional circuit, where his family says he was living his dream until a nightmare Monday morning. Horses graze on property where generations of a Fresno, Texas family have learned to love cowboy life. Outsy Mitchell out of Houston, Texas. Including Demetrius Allen, a successful pro bull rider known professionally as Outsy Mitchell. No, he took up after his dad. His dad was Nathan Jean Mama Sugar Sanders is the matriarch and is among those shocked by news of Ouncey's sudden death. Because he's a nice person. Laquita Allen is his mother, still trying to process the loss of her only son. This tragedy is very unexpected. We expected him to die by the bull, not by the bullet. Police in Salt Lake City say Ouncey was shot and killed early Monday morning at this apartment complex where he'd been staying with a female friend while in town for the Utah State Fair. Apparently, Ouncey came to collect his things after a dispute, and she's accused of shooting him. I really don't know the details. I don't want to know the details. My only thing is, is my son home? Many in the bull riding community reacted to Ouncey's killing, including the CEO of Professional Bull Riders, or PBR, who offered condolences on social media. He will be missed. And mourned, his family says, by people around the world. He has a bunch of support from everywhere, everywhere. In addition to his very extended family, I'm told Outsy, who got the nickname because of his small size as a child, also leaves behind a four-year-old daughter. Meanwhile, in Utah, 21-year-old LaShawn Bagley is being held on suspicion of first-degree murder. Reporting in... sad man it's, it's sad this is why you have to be you know you have your own spot and another thing is like when it comes to these situations you have to be careful who you hook up with who you're associating with okay if the woman is violent she was, he tried to leave. You gotta be careful, man. You gotta know the signs. That person's not right for you, leave. You see the signs, leave. Never, ever, ever. Ha never. Give a person a chance. When you see those signs, get out, period. Get out. Now we got some craziness here, okay? This is from a politician. 
and she, uh, this woman's nuts, that's all I gotta say, she is crazy. They don't like you. They don't like you. That's all I can say. These these uh, left wingers are off their rocker. Off their off their rocker. That's all I gotta tell you. When I hear my colleagues talking about how you know it should be states' rights or government should not be telling us what to do, the work. Hypocrites, it doesn't even go far enough to call them out on what they're doing. This is an outright attack on women in this country. That is how I see it. That is how more and more women and those who support our right to make decisions about our own bodies. That is how we see it. And why? <laughs> because that's what's happening. Madam President, I yield the floor, but clearly, you know, this is a... Um, Literally, call to arms in our country. Yield the floor. The senior senator from Oregon. Call to arms. Violence. Violence against people who are trying to protect human life. Violence against pro-lifers. Because they see... And everybody else sees the fact that the nonsense of what's going on in this country. Alright? Let's keep it real. You're mad because you don't have the right to go off and delete a child selfishly. Because maybe you had maybe you had a you had an affair, or maybe you had you were young. You're young and you had a little uh, night at Camp Coon that you don't want anybody to know about or you're just you want to be selfish in a marriage and you know I don't feel it's right for me never mind what my husband feels like I want this baby deleted it's basically it and you want to call you want to find any way to be uh justified in this never mind about the side effects of deleting your kid the mental illness the possibility of you passing away in the middle of deleting your kid again they don't talk about that they don't talk about the lives of women who have you know they've lost their lives trying to get that procedure done I don't know why but They're uh, pretty much like that. Okay. Let's talk about another story right now. Alright. Sad what's going on. People are going to have to protect themselves. Okay. It's not, it's not a joke out here. Protect yourself. If you don't have to go outside, do not go outside. Alright? That's how it goes. So, 
Joining us, a pack of cigars. That's what a Macon mom says a stranger asked for at a gas station before he then assaulted her. The county sheriff's office says they're searching for this man, last seen running from the Sitco on Bloomfield Road, wearing a purple shirt and black pants. Ashlyn Webb has the latest. He literally beat me like I was a man. Danielle Finney says these are the marks left by Tuesday's attack. I have where he threw me on the ground. My hands are messed up. Um, my hip is swollen right here. Um, he pulled out hair right here. The mother of two says this man caught on surveillance video was sitting in the middle of two gas pumps. In the midst of me getting out of the car, he asked me, could I buy him a something at the store? I would like him out. I told him I didn't have the money. Vinny says she got back in her car to grab her keys, and that's when he attacked her. He just hit me. Vinny says she then tried to get away and ran toward the store, but the man chased her, attacking her again. He knocked me on the ground and just went to beat me. She says she cried for help and covered her face while the man continued punching her. Meanwhile, Vinny says the store clerk locked the doors. So when she finally got away from the man, a clerk let a woman out. And when I got to the door, she had locked the door. I'm pulling on the door. I'm begging for help, screaming for help. And she never helped me at all. Benny's father, Alvin Sanford Sr., says what happened to his daughter should sound the alarm for others in May. Boycott that gas station. Boycott that gas station. You saw a fellow sister get beat up. You didn't decide to call the cops or come out there with a gun. Alright, you didn't try to boycott that that gas station. Okay, boycott it. And that woman needs to lose her job who worked at the gas station. This is unacceptable. Unacceptable. Where is making going from here? What that sell by our Finney is warning other women to be aware of their That father need to sue that gas station. Get that gas station shut down. Or you own that gas station. Be safe. Lock your doors. If you see somebody sitting at the, the gas pump, just drive to another gas station. I don't wish it on nobody. Ashlyn spoke to the store clerk today, who Finney says would not allow her to take cover in the store. She would not comment. If you have any information about the man, you can call the county sheriff's office. Just sad, man. Just sad. Despicable. Utterly despicable. All right. <clears throat> trying to determine who killed an LSU student early this morning and why. Well, she was shot off campus in her car on Government Street. Home of the <coughs> live now from the crime scene with that story. Oh. Yeah, we are in the 1500 block of Government Street. That's about five miles from the LSU campus. Take a look. You can see there is some shattered glass and some flowers where Allison Rice was shot and killed. While police investigate this terrible crime, Friends of the LSU senior are devastated by her loss.
She had a smile that just lit up the room. According to Baton Rouge police, 21-year-old Allison Rice was found in her car shot multiple times. She was a senior marketing major from Geismer, which is an Ascension parish. Witnesses say Rice was stopped at a train crossing in the 1500 block of Government Street around 2.20 Friday morning. She tried to make a U-turn and someone started shooting. Uh, a lot of problems around here, you know what I mean? There people that are uh, doing things that shouldn't be doing, stuff like that. So I'm trying to stay focused, stay out of the light, you know what I mean? Be in my house. Nighttime when night fall, I try to be in the house. The part of Government Street where Rice was shot is near the Electric Depot, a popular late-night gathering spot for students and young professionals. Baton Rouge police are investigating the shooting. I just left the scene. Uh, uh, prior to coming here, uh, our detectives are out there uh, canvassing the area. Uh, a lot of investigative efforts that are going on uh, behind the scenes. Uh, very sad, very sad. This video from WBRZ shows Rice working at a barbecue restaurant off campus called The Shed. It opened just three months ago. Her whole life ahead of her, she was so proud about an internship and graduating. And uh, it was... I mean, she was just such an amazing girl with so much ahead of her. It's just devastating. My mom stopped and crying. She was a part of our family. Rice's family is also part owners of the shed. Some of her brothers and sisters also work there. Her friends are asking anyone who knows anything about this shooting to please call police. Someone knows something, and, and, and this was just another night for them. Whoever did this has no heart. When it strikes home this close, man, it, it is... It's beyond painful. And the LSU community is also feeling that pain tonight. And earlier, LSU released this statement. The LSU community is saddened to hear of senior Allison Rice being killed overnight. Her family and friends are in our thoughts, and we encourage anyone who may have more information about this crime to contact Baton Rouge Police. She didn't deserve this, man. She did not deserve this. Mind your business, just doing your doing what you're supposed to do as a college student. You work, you and you know, you go to school, you do what you're supposed to do, and this happens. This is your life. This this is what happens. And it's not right. It is not right. It's scary because if you're a parent, this could be you. This could be you with your heart broken. You having to make phone calls, funeral arrangements, and you have to be sitting there with that disillusion that you can't believe your child that you cradled and fed and taught things and heard their voice is gone. Prayers to the family, man. Prayers for that family. Look into this news story right now. It's, you know, it's a positive story. Check it out. It's like we're almost there to that point of having cover bikes. Let's just check it out. Let's check it out. I want to talk radio live in 4K.
Kobo bike made by Japanese manufacturers is set to launch in the U.S. next year. The, the bike, bike made its U.S. debut at the Detroit Auto Show. Take a look. So what do you think? Um, do you think that we're possibly going to be uh, having that? We're gonna be having uh, the Jetsons type of vibe. We'll have that type of era finally of hover cars and you know, um, doing those type of things, you know flying up and high in the sky and uh, we will not we won't be using uh, cars anymore regular cars what are your thoughts on that what do you think you think it'll be like that I just want to know I don't know what you guys would think about that but um Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about. Uh, Alright, so that's it for me. Alright, hope you guys enjoyed the stream. Um, that's all I'm showing for now. Okay, later. Like, share, comment, subscribe.